Have you ever seen one of those hoarding shows? A person that has literally created their own prison with junk and boxes and stuff. And it's really a sickness. And the question is, why do they do it? And the reason is they're afraid to let anything go. Well, James in James chapter 5 is going to deal with moth and rust. And he's going to warn people who have been creating injustice and hoarding for themselves. And he's going to encourage the church who suffered injustice. Maybe you're on either side of this coin. Maybe you've been hoarding stuff or maybe you've suffered injustice and you need a word of encouragement from the Lord. Well, the first part of James 5 will do just that for us. And it's today on Walk in Truth. Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. Where are you making your investments? Jesus used parables about investments to talk about things that will last and really what our priorities are. For many people, we have to admit that money has become their God. And so Jesus is addressing this. And he says, for where your treasure is, 21, there your heart will be also. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one, there is no exception, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. For this reason I say to you, do not be anxious for your life as to what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor for your body as to what you shall put on. Is not life more than food and the body than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow, neither do they reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And sometimes we wonder, sometimes, you know, we have sleepless nights, if you turn back to the book of James, wondering if God's really going to take care for us. This, in many ways, is a trust issue. And when it comes to how we disperse or give out what God gives to us, it comes down to a trust issue and it does come down to what kingdom we are actually building. James opens the section with the phrase, come now, James 5.1, and that'll sound familiar to a lot of you who heard, heard Pastor John deal with the last section of James 4. Notice the same opening phrase is in James 4.13. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, James 14, 4.13, we shall go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. Therefore, to the one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. The big omission, the big thing that's left out in this particular passage is that these folks have omitted God and his will for their lives. How many evangelical Christians do you think get married, move to a certain location, start a business, make purchases, make major life decisions without any regard to the will of God and the extension of his kingdom. I would say to you, it's rampant in the Christian church. 
And this is a challenge for all of us who say we want to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. The question becomes, how do we build that kingdom? What does that look like on a Monday afternoon as much as it does on a Sunday morning? Well, James says, come now, you rich. Weep. The word weep there is to sob, wail aloud, uh, sign of pain. And how, it's a, literally in the Greek, it's a shriek for your miseries which are coming upon you. Now, if we were to imagine that the church that James addresses was filled with a lot of common day laborers, a lot of poor, impoverished people, you could understand how this would encourage them. Earlier in James' letter, they heard James say they were to consider it all joy when they encountered various trials. And some of the poor people might say, I'm in a trial right now. This wealthy landowner I work for, you never know if he's going to pay you at the end of the day or not. And I've had to go to court. And oftentimes when I go to court to try to get my proper pay, he knows the judge and he's bought off the judge or they're buddies. What do I do in this kind of situation? God, are you hearing my prayer? You tell me I'm going to count it, consider it all joy. But how can I do that when this guy's getting away with it? And James writes James chapter five to say he's not. You need to be patient because there's going to be a day when God deals with those who have stepped on the backs of others to build their own kingdom. Our attitude toward the poor is important to God, but we need to understand that when people are manipulating and it seems they've gotten away with it, nobody's getting away with anything. A day of judgment is coming and God's scales will be true. Proverbs 14, 20 through 22 says, the poor is hated even by his neighbor, but those who love the rich are many. He who despises his neighbor sins, but happy is he who is gracious to the poor. Will they not go astray who devise evil? But kindness and truth will be to those who devise good. In the last uh, couple of months, I've been sharing with you stories from our benevolence fund. We helped uh, a woman who was in distress build, excuse me, uh, lay her mother to rest. She had no money to do the memorial service, and you guys paid for that through the benevolence fund. We have families that come here week in and week out. We give them gift cards for groceries. We pay light bills. When we know someone's genuinely poor, they're a widow or a widower, they just don't have the means, they've done everything they can. There's a lot of stories I could share with you guys about what you do. When you give, money does go to help the poor. We're helping missionaries on the mission field. There are things that we're doing right here from Corona. As we give to the kingdom of God, we're helping people hear the gospel in different places and so forth. I heard of a story of natives of a third world country who were given a sundial. They were thrilled as they learned how to tell time by observing the shadow of the sun on the face of the sundial. As days passed, this amazing instrument attracted such interest that the leaders of the tribe decided that the sundial deserved some sort of worship. To the delight of the leaders, large crowds gathered to worship. However, this created a problem. They now feared for the safety of this remarkable device. It was decided that a beautiful building be erected to house it. This, they thought, would protect it from any would-be thief. You guys see where this is going, don't you? The project was completed. A formal celebration was announced. As thousands gathered, the leaders stood before the sundial, at which time they made a startling discovery. The sundial, the center of attraction, was now useless. Rather than admit their error, the leaders decided to preserve it as a shrine for future generations, thus preserving their own dignity. Christina Onassis said, happiness is not based on money. The best proof of that 
is my family. Oftentimes we see well-to-do families and when we really pull back the veil or we hear the story years later, it's not pretty. Comedian Richard Pryor was critically burned in an accident in 1980. The accident was caused by his partaking of crack cocaine out of a crack pipe. He described that his addiction had gotten so bad that he sat in a room, isolated himself, and it got so bad that his crack cocaine pipe began to speak to him. He said, you know you're in trouble when your crack cocaine pipe begins to speak to you. Later, he appeared on the Johnny Carson show and he shared the following words. He said, when you're seriously ill, money isn't important. All that I could think of was to call on God. I didn't call the Bank of America one time, close quote. And in the day of trouble, money will not deliver. We have many, many verses in Scripture that say riches will not deliver on the day of judgment. God does care about our attitudes and he cares about our actions. We've talked about the theme verse of James is that we're to be doers of the word and not merely hearers only. We talked about James 1.27, that true and undefiled religion is this in the sight of our God and Father, to help orphans and widows in their distress and to keep ourselves unstained from the world. I know the book of James is tough. I know it's in our kitchen. But this is how change comes. And I've had many of you come up to me and say, man, the book of James. And we do, yeah, the book of James. Remember we called the book of James the book of Frank? Frankly, this is what James says to us, right? And when we hear it and we respond to it, we're all the better. And so in the NIV, he says, listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming upon you. This is a prophetic woe or lament common in the Old Testament. If you're interested to see some of these, write down Isaiah 10:5, 28:1 of Isaiah. You could re read Isaiah chapters 5, 13, 15, and 34. If you've ever studied the book of Isaiah, you know that there's an oracle against this nation, an oracle against that nation, an oracle against this leader. And there are prophetic woes. And they're an indictment against a leader who's manipulated the people of Israel or persecuted the people or killed them or been merciless, had no pity or compassion. And God addresses these world leaders and basically says, I will preside over your funeral. This is a burst of righteous indignation. An example is Isaiah 33:1, addressed to Assyria. It says, woe to you, O destroyer, you who have not been destroyed. Woe to you, O traitor. You who have not been betrayed, when you stop destroying, you will be destroyed. When you stop betraying, you will be betrayed. There's a warning in Isaiah 13 that I'd like you to, to turn to to get a flavor of how these are written. Find the book of Isaiah, go to chapter 13. This is written in the day of the Lord type of language, so it does address the last days, but often there's a dual interpretation or a dual meaning. That is, it's addressed to a world empire or leader of the day, and it's also addressed to the last days of the world. Isaiah 13, 6 says these words. Wail for the day of the Lord is near. It will come as destruction from the Almighty. Isaiah 13, 7. Therefore, all hands will fall limp and every man's heart will melt. They will be terrified. Pains and anguish will take hold of them. They will ride like a woman in labor. They will look at one another in astonishment, their faces aflame. That's verse 8. Just write in your margin there, Indiana Jones. 
Remember that scene in Indiana Jones when their faces become inflamed? Hey, listening family, this is Pastor Michael. I want to tell you a little bit about a college that we have going. It's called the Truth Academy. It meets at Living Truth Christian Fellowship in the city of Corona, and it's an apologetic school with also an emphasis on theology. Do you want to grow in your faith? Do you want to be more equipped to share your faith in the public square? Well, this school will help you. And here's Joe Kelly, the director of the Truth Academy, to tell you more. Thank you, Pastor Michael. Boy, has there ever been a time where the need has been greater for God's people to know what they believe and why they believe it? Well, the Truth Academy is here to help the believer contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. So I'd encourage our listeners, Pastor Michael, to go online to thetruthacademy.com Take a look, see what we have to offer. Our classes are available either in person if you live in Southern California, or if you want to take a class online, that's available too. You can learn from the comfort of your own home. Once again, that's thetruthacademy.com. We look forward to having you as a student in the near future. Thanks, Joe. That's exciting news. Thetruthacademy.com to give reasons for faith, reasons for hope in our culture. Man, it's so desperately needed. Check it out today, thetruthacademy.com. They will be terrified. Pains and anguish will take hold of them. They will writhe like a woman in labor. They will look at one another in astonishment, their faces aflame. That's verse eight. Just write in your margin there, Indiana Jones. You remember that scene in Indiana Jones when their faces become inflamed? (laughs) Poof! Glorious movie making. There's a section in the book of Amos that is very apropos to this idea. Uh, this is Amos 8, 2 through 7. Don't worry about turning there if you'd like to follow along. But here's Amos 8, 2 through 7. It says, God said, what do you see, Amos? I said, a basket of summer fruit. Then the Lord said to me, the end has come for my people Israel. I will spare them no longer. The songs of the palace will turn to wailing in that day, declares the Lord. Many will be the corpses in every place that will cast them forth in silence. Hear this, you who trample the needy, to do away with the humble of the land, saying, when will the new moon be over so that we may sell, 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 sell grain and the, uh, and the Sabbath that we may open the wheat market. Let's get the religious days over so we can sell to make the bushel smaller and the shekel bigger, to cheat with dishonest scales. Think of the money changers. So as to buy the helpless for money and the needy for a pair of sandals that we may sell the refuse of the wheat. The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob. Indeed, God says, I will never forget any of their deeds. Their actions reveal that they did not love God. And God says what they did. Get this. I swear, says God. And that's very rare when God swears. He can't swear by anybody higher than himself. He says, I swear I will never forget what they have done. Now, as a person In the early church, reading this stuff, you had to be encouraged, especially if you had been ripped off lately. Turn back to the book of James. But if you were a wealthy landowner sitting in the same congregation, you might be a bit disquieted or discomforted. There's an Anglican bishop. His name is J.C. Ryle from a generation ago or two. He says the following about money, extremely insightful. He says, it is possible to love money without having it. It's possible to have it without loving it. He goes on to say, money in truth is one of the most unsatisfying of possessions. It takes away some cares, no doubt, 
but it brings with it quite as many cares as it takes away. Or as we've heard about, the more you have, the more you have to worry about. He says there is trouble in the getting of it. There is anxiety in the keeping of it. There are temptations in the use of it. There is guilt in the abuse of it. There is sorrow in the losing of it. There is perplexity in the disposing of it. That's good, isn't it? As Solomon put it in Ecclesiastes, I'm going to leave my stuff that I've amassed to somebody else and I don't know how they're going to handle it or what they're going to do with it. And we all know that we can't take our possessions with us to the next kingdom. Naked I came into the world. Naked I'm going to leave it. As the old saying goes, we never see a hearse pulling a U-Haul. You are going to leave it all behind. And the question is, how much are you paying forward into the ultimate kingdom? How much am I? He goes on in James 5, 2. He says, your riches or your wealth have become rotten or have rotted. Your garments have become moth-eaten. How many of you have seen those shows, those hoarding shows? Have you seen that before? If you Google the word hoarding and Google images of hoarding, it's a, it's a weird and sad situation that you'll often see. Here's a person who has so many possessions, their garbage, their food wrappers, stuff from 30, 40 years ago, paperwork, boxes. They can't throw anything away. Get this. They can't even throw their garbage away. And when you see pictures of a hoarder, they have encased themselves in their stuff, created a little cubby in which they can live, made room for hallways to get to the restroom and the kitchen, and stuff is piled from the floor to the ceiling and has become a home of countless mice and rats. And we say, what is the deal here? What is with this sickness or this mental condition of hoarding? It's simply this. Someone is so worried about getting rid of anything because they put their trust in stuff and they become sick. There's a story I came across some years ago of a woman who they found her dead. She was an elderly woman, dead in her apartment. She had been surviving on cat food. She had really nothing, you know, everything had holes. Everything was, was in disarray. And she died from malnutrition and she was dehydrated. She literally died of starvation. And as they began to dig a little bit more into this woman and her history, they found out she had nearly a million dollars in the bank. She had banknotes and stocks and bonds. She died of malnutrition and starvation eating cat food. Why? Because she wanted to protect her little nest egg for whatever reason. And she died when she had plenty of stuff to take care of herself. See, this is the human dilemma and condition. This is the problem with riches. And we remember the story when God blessed the people of God with manna. And he said, I want you to gather it one day at a time. Don't gather a couple days except for the Sabbath. Because if you gather more than one day, it's going to spoil and little green worms are going to grow out of it. And some people couldn't even listen to that instruction. See, God wants us to trust him for manna for today, for our daily bread. And as Americans, it's hard for us because we live in a very affluent society. But we need to get the first things first. Kevin Long, who played under coach Bobby Bowden at Florida State University, said his coach inspired the team with many parables. 
He recounted a favorite story. He said Bowden was playing college baseball. He had never hit a home run. And finally, one day, he hit one down the right field line into the corner, rounded first, picked up the third base coach, waving him on. He hit third, came to home, hit home plate. He had his first home run. He's gets slapping high fives with his teammates. He's joyous. But much to his chagrin and alarm, the pitcher took the ball back from the umpire, threw the ball to first base in an appeal, and Bowden was called out. What? No, what? You see, he had missed first base in his excitement of rounding the bases in his first home run. As a lesson to his team, he said, if you don't take care of first base, it doesn't matter what you do. He said, if you don't honor the Lord first, it doesn't matter what else you do. How many of you remember the story? There was, this is a great video from some years ago. It was a college softball game and it was a championship game. And, and a young lady had hit a home run to win the game. And she was celebrating and she was going around first base. And I don't know if it was on the base or her, she was jumping up and down, but she tweaked her leg and she couldn't move. She was on the ground, writhing in pain. And everybody's trying to figure out what to do. What, what's the rule in this kind of case? And the rule says you cannot put a pinch runner in for that player. They have to touch the bases all on themselves. And in a shocking video, the other team, at the expense of them losing the championship game, picked up this girl, put her on their shoulders. And as they passed each base, they helped her touch first, then second, then third, then home. Her home run counted. And the, the girls on the other team that carried her spelled their own loss, but they won in a much bigger way. In fact, I wouldn't even be telling this story to you unless that life lesson had occurred. You see, there are some things that are much more important than our next indulgence or another step up for us. And it's hard for us. It's hard for me in the society in which we live. Your garments have become moth-eaten. How many of you tried to pull out a suit Maybe you stored in a garage or a closet. You're going to a wedding. You got a suit from the light, late 1970s. Like, honey, I'm good. We don't need to go to men's warehouse. I got a suit from back in the day. It's got ruffles. It's a pink color. And you go out there, and there you are in the garage. You try to put the suit on. You're like, ooh. Ooh. It's not me. This thing has shrunk over the years. I haven't got larger. It's a problem with the clothing. And then you find it's been moth-eaten. It's weird. There's holes everywhere in the garment. And your wife looks at you and says, go to the men's warehouse. You'll like the way you look. <laughs> you won't like the way you look. I won't like the way you look in that thing. And you might respond, but holes are cool these days. The, ki the kids buy them with the holes, the moth holes in them now. Yeah, but you're too old for that. <laughs> One writer says the moth looks like a harmless creature. In its pearly white color, it hovers about with, with, without sound at twilight. Or in a dark room, and especially in our closets where woolen clothes are kept, it is not impertinent like the robust flies of the summer. It does not have a sting like the mosquito. It does not sound in our ears the shrill notes of a cricket. It does not nibble and gnaw like the mouse or rat or roaches do or indecently overrun our food. It is most fair, is the moth silent, apparently harmless. Yet every housewife springs after it with electric haste. It is a dreadful pest, not for what it is, but for what it does. Once a garment is moth-eaten, it's almost impossible to repair. 
How true this is in the case of the proud rich, says this writer. Once one begins to suffer the sickness of pride of riches, the cure is very difficult. Let us beware, for once the moths have done their work upon us, there is hardly any hope. Let us remember also that the moth does its work secretly without our realizing it, and so does our pride in riches. We may be proud of the things we wear and possess without ever realizing it, how stealthily the moth works, and how stealthily our pride of our souls. Hey, listening family, this is Pastor Michael. I want to tell you a little bit about a college that we have going. It's called the Truth Academy. It meets at Living Truth Christian Fellowship in the city of Corona, and it's an apologetic school with also an emphasis on theology. Do you want to grow in your faith? Do you want to be more equipped to share your faith in the public square? Well, this school will help you. And here's Joe Kelly, the director of the Truth Academy, to tell you more. Thank you, Pastor Michael. Boy, has there ever been a time where the need has been greater for God's people to know what they believe and why they believe it? Well, the Truth Academy is here to help the believer contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. So I'd encourage our listeners, Pastor Michael, to go online to thetruthacademy.com. Take a look, see what we have to offer. Our classes are available either in person if you live in Southern California, or if you want to take a class online, that's available too. You can learn from the comfort of your own home. Once again, that's thetruthacademy.com. We look forward to having you as a student in the near future. Thanks, Joe. That's exciting news. Thetruthacademy.com to give reasons for faith, reasons for hope in our culture. Man, it's so desperately needed. Check it out today, thetruthacademy.com. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Pastor Michael would love to hear from you. You can write him when you visit walkintruth.com.